Love and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Roosechuck, and I'm here with my guest today, Tracy Maxfield. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Now you do a little bit of everything. You're you're an author first and foremost. So mm-hmm. we have that, and then you're a personal mentoring coach. What else do yeah. you do? I'm a well, I'm a retired nurse. <laughs> And uh, I'm a speaker, and I'm a very passionate stop bullying and mental health advocate and educator. Excellent. Now, let's start with the, we're going to break this down a little bit. Let's start with the book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Now, what is that about? I have a little bit of it in the description on our website, but what is it about from your point of view? So Escaping the Rabbit Hole, My Journey Through Depression is about that. Um, in, on August 20th, uh, 2015, I actually fell down the rabbit hole. I experienced um, an acute depressive episode related to workplace bullying. And um, two days after I, quote unquote, fell down the rabbit hole, I um, attempted suicide for the first time. Um, and so it I'd had two previous episodes of depression in the past, but nothing actually compared to this particular episode. Um, It was extremely dark. Um, I never, ever thought I would ever get out of it. I thought I was trapped forever. And it was about a year into therapy, um, encouraged by my psychologist. I actually started a blog where I... Um, wrote about my experiences and what it was actually like living with depression because as you know with depression it's the invisible Mm -hmm. illness and so people when they see you they think everything is fine and then Mm -hmm. when you actually confide in them and tell them what's going on lots of people just do not know what to say and um, with my the initial blog was started in order for people to understand what I was going through and what it was like but it came um, I would say a very cathartic experience for me. And it was after writing each blog post, which could be several times a week or just um, every week, I had so many people saying this needs to be made into a book. And I really didn't pay much attention. And then about six months later, I thought, you know what, I want to write this book because I don't want anyone else going through what I was going through to think that A, they're alone, and B, that there's no hope. I kind of wanted it to be a message. And here we are. <laughs> there we go. See, every, <laughs> I don't care who you are. You go through a period of depression. It could be just for a day. It could be for years. And yeah. it's up to us to bring ourselves out of it. But we need resources like your book, your blog, to, hey, we're not alone in this. Because... We all sit, go through a bout of depression. It could be over a loss of a family member or something medical or anything. But we go through it as humans, but not everyone recognizes it as a chronic disease unless you're going through it for months or even years. That's right, yes. And it was, I, I mean, as a nurse, I know about depression, and I, I mean, I was 
searching everywhere I could think of, reading information. And I would go to my psychologist every week and say, why aren't I better? This has been going on for like nine months. This has been going on for a year. Can you just give me a date on the calendar so I know I'd have something to look forward to? And he used to say, Tracy, it doesn't work like that. You've got your brain is taking time. It's, It's been shattered into so many pieces and you're slowly putting those pieces back together again. And we can't give you a date, but you have to keep moving forward. And it was actually not only through the blog, but it was also journaling and doing some lifestyle holistic choices and actually gratitude as well, keeping a gratitude journal that I think really helped to move me, I would I say, out of the darkness into a stage where I could actually see light. Right. And that's very important. See, I've been dealing with depression since I was a kid in school. It started right. with bullying in school, being bullied, oh, and then it just yes. escalated as an adult because now you're trapped in that fear. You get Absolutely. out of that darkness, and then something else happens that re-triggers the depression. Yes. Absolutely. And, and I think the chat. Sorry, go on. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, and the challenge is that, like, I have a genetic form of depression, a psychiatrist told me, so I know that this is my life. Um, I may not be in an acute stage, but I'm in what we call the the chronic. You know that it's there, and little things can trigger it. It's, I think it's getting to the point, as I think you probably have understood, is that um, you have to learn to live with it. It's a part of you but you have to make sure it does not become you. Correct. And living with it day-to-day is a struggle, and no one understands oh, that yes. unless yes. you live with it. I mean... and Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, another reason for the book is because I want it as a resource so... Other people, if they're looking after someone or they're living with someone who has depression or even healthcare professionals, um, to try and get an understanding of what it's like day to day. I mean, you become what they call a high-functioning depressive, which is a very weird term, but it is you go about your life and you do your work and you get your tasks done, but that does not mean that you are happy and life is perfect and you go home and you know you're dancing like the sound of music it's not like that you feel this inner sadness and hopelessness and it's just it feels like you have a shroud on you all the time Mm -hmm. and sometimes that shroud is very heavy and it's like I don't even know I can get through the day and other days it feels like it's a little bit lighter and you think oh okay it's 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 healing, it's getting better. And you wake up the next day and you're like, oh my God, I can't get out of bed. It's, um, it, and it's a challenge because, mm-hmm. I mean, all the studies have said, the World Health Organization has said depression is the number one leading cause of disability amongst children, teenagers, and adults globally. Yes. So people so don't chances understand are, this. Everyone knows somebody, right? Mm-hmm. See, I'm a life coach. I'm a mentor. I do this radio show, 
and I suffer from depression. I wake up, there's days that I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I have to make my choice that I'm going to do yes. something today. And, uh, and that's, yes, 100% agree. Yeah. yeah, you can't just lay there and say, oh, I don't feel like it. No, you have to get yourself up. You have to take control of that day. You can't take care control of tomorrow, but you can take care of today. And I think that was that was my biggest learning experience when I was in the rabbit hole. It was the mindfulness to mm-hmm. embrace and appreciate the day and try and look for, you know, moments of of joy or what gave you gratitude or what made you smile and not keep being fixated on, am I going to get better next week? Well, am I going to feel better next week or in a month? And I think it's switching that mindset to today is Mm -hmm. is a challenge and it takes some time. But for most people that I've spoken to, it's that switch that enables you to say, okay, I'm going to, I know it's not going to be such a good day today. However, I am going to get out of bed and I am going to do some things because it's, it's, it's taking control of your life. I always say it is taking back your life and not surrendering to that overwhelming darkness. Because as you know, if we choose to stay in bed and not do anything, A, you don't feel better, but Mm -hmm. also... If you can't sleep, those little negative thoughts in your head, they just go crazy and they multiply and you start berating and punishing yourself because you're not getting out of bed and you just get further and further down into that darkness. Mm-hmm. That, that's exactly it. It's You have to be mindful of your own yes. uh, actions. Yes, I, I don't want to say there is a cure because I still, I'm 37 years old. I still suffer from this. I'm going to suffer for this my entire life. But I also make the choice every day, okay, yeah, I'm mindful of those thoughts. I'm mindful yes. of getting out of bed. And I'm mindful of what's being added to those thoughts. Are they outside? Are they inside? Are they what my mind is making up? Absolutely. And we know we are our own worst enemies. Yes. No one no one can be a harsher critic of of ourselves than, than us. <laughs> um, Very true. And you know, and and it is. Um and I think it was getting to that point of realization that um okay this is your life right now. The medications have helped somewhat, but they're not going to take it away and there's no cure all. And so how, if, if I'm, I made the decision, I choose to live. I choose to fight this. I choose to live. How am I going to make this happen? And it, it was living day by day. It was not, you know, oh, I'm going to live for a week or a month or a year. It was how do I how do I work my life into today and try and get as much out of it as I can and, you know, start again then tomorrow. And I mean, I'm 56 and whilst my depression is nowhere as bad as it was when I was in the rabbit hole, I still have very bad days. And it's that 
giving yourself permission to say, okay, it's okay not to be okay today. I get it, but that doesn't mean it's going to be like that tomorrow. Exactly. That's, this and is what I'm trying to teach my daughter because we have bad days and we have good days. It's okay absolutely. to have a bad day. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's the work that I'm, you know, I'm doing right now. I, I'm working with children and teenagers, and it is trying to get them to understand that life is not perfect and you will have bad days and you will have totally sucky days and you will also have awesome days and you will have days where things don't work out for you but you know it's not that that you're hopeless and pathetic and you're a failure it's I think we're trying what I'm trying to do is to get kids to start reframing their inner dialogue Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we always look at it as winning or losing, passing, you know, or failure. And we need to change that. Yes. It, it's, you know, it's not you've lost. It's not you're a failure. It's okay. So I didn't do as well as I'd hoped this time. Let's look at the reasons why. How can I maybe change that the next time? And it's getting them to look at that. Because once they go down the I'm a loser, I'm a failure, we know that, the things that kids go through today is nothing to what I ever went through. I mean, they've right. got so many challenges and pressures and expectations thrust upon them. And they're also dealing with so many issues, not only related to society, but, you know, in their own school and also, you know, on the World Wide Web, you know, mm-hmm. like the cyberbullying and just the, you know, the expectations of what beauty is and what happiness is, is so skewed. But they're having to live that and deal with that. And so it's it's always trying to reframe your thoughts into something yes. that builds you up and gives you confidence. And so many, so many kids um, allow those negative thoughts and words, not only from themselves, but from others. And bullying is a classic example to just take, take, you know, their soul away from them. They do right. everything about themselves. Now, there's another thing to bullying I didn't think about until it got put in my face today. And this is we have our teachers, we learn that bullying from students. But when you're taking a student, especially when you're doing an intervention for a student, and you're saying all these negative things, and the student's right there. So, you know, you have the student that's already in a depressive mind from whatever Uh they're going through, and then you're naming all these depressive things, and then you get upset because they have outbursts. We have to be able to have discussions, but if the child's... You know, parents and teachers need to be able to talk about what the student's doing, but at the same time, structure what you're saying to be not negative, if that makes sense. No, no, I I absolutely agree. And, you know, I do weekly blog posts and YouTube videos about, you know, bullying and mental illness and suicide in kids. And I always do a section on how to help and it's for parents and family and siblings and teachers how to help the child or the teenager 
you know, deal with what they're going through, what they're feeling, whether or not it's dealing with the bully or if they, they have depression or an eating disorder and how you support them and what you say to them. Because it's, I mean, people are funny. I mean, even as adults, if some, if in a day somebody comes up to you and says seven positive, wonderful things, whether they be, you know, positive comments or compliments or something to you, and it makes you feel good and happy, and then some other people come along and say two horrible, nasty, or negative things, the majority of us will automatically dwell on the two negative things and forget about the eight positives. Correct. And we, it, and it takes a lot of work, but it's, we need to start teaching our kids as soon as they get to school, even before they go to school, that they, how to start reframing those words and listening to the positives, not allowing the negatives to take over. And it's the same. I mean, you have um, a kid in school that's dealing with anxiety and depression and is struggling to get through the day. And you're saying things that will only um, exacerbate how they're feeling about themselves, then you're sending them plummeting downhill. We have to be able to reframe the words so the kids understand that you're coming from a place of, of respect, but also of compassion and understanding. And even if they've done something wrong, I still think that we have a way that we can say it without the kid feeling this tremendous guilt and onus of responsibility. Mm -hmm. There is. See, I have a daughter that has autism, and she also has depression on top of it. Okay? Yes, very common. I use her one. Yes. And you have the teachers, all the negative things, well, okay, so you're giving me 20 negative things in the last two seconds. You give me one positive, but you say the positive after you already got her upset and she's out of the room. Well, of course, right? And this, you know, it's so sad because I think, I know teachers have way more they, responsibility yes, they have, that they have, you know, yes, absolutely. They have a very difficult job. I will say this right now, all teachers, I have mass respect for you. You have difficult jobs. But when you know the student has a mental illness. Yes, I agree. Do we want to have the student in the room when we're talking all the negative stuff? Or do we want the student to come in later when we're talking about how to be helpful? Just saying. I'm putting that out there. And, I mean, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that there, if there is a classroom where the teacher is discussing negative stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. that has an impact on everybody, regardless of whether or not they have a, a mental um, disorder or illness, but if, if that 
you know, if they're being bullied, if they have problems at home, if they have, you know, a parent that may be unwell. I mean, all of these factors go into these brains that are still developing. And I think it's, I think we've become a society that we we are forgetting what the impact of our words are having. And right. because we only have to go onto social media or turn on the news and see how people even tweet or, you know, pass comments on Facebook posts or Instagram, how they talk about other people and pass comments and there's no accountability for their actions, it's almost become the norm. And to transfer that into the classroom, I don't think is good because the classroom should be the learning opportunity of saying, you know, um, this politician said that, or, um, you know, this, like this actress on social media said this about a person let's examine this this wasn't kind this this was not appropriate and you know we need to that's what we need to start doing with kids so you can talk about a situation that is not good or that negative that has happened but be able to reframe it to get them thinking of how could this have been done differently what would have been a more appropriate response and I mean, that's the only way kids learn. Right. If, you know, if, if, they're, if they're listening to negativity, even in a school environment, how, why are you expecting them to change that dialogue when they leave the classroom or when they talk to their peers? <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you know, what is it? Monkey see, monkey do. Um, right. We, we are supposed to be setting an example. And I, bel- I feel that, Yes, teachers. Oh my goodness, I, 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 I bow to them. A, amazing mm-hmm. job, difficult job. But it does not matter how difficult and stressful it is. Dialogue should be very cognizant of the learning needs and the situation in the classroom, and every dialogue should be an, a learning opportunity. Right. And we have to be able to have these open conversations with people, but at the same time be mindful, okay, we already know this person has a mental illness. and we Depression is a mental illness. We're all agreed on that. So if we know they have a mental illness, a mental disability, because there's forms of depression that classified into disability, Yes. Let's be mindful of how we say things, especially when we're trying to have a positive outcome. If you're just I, saying I, things I, off top of your head, you're going to have an explosion. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm always a, a big proponent of let's deal with issues upstream. Not, let's not wait for the catastrophe downstream while we're rushing around trying to put up fires. And it's the same. You want to have a, you know, a supportive, cooperative, calm classroom. Mm-hmm. And so what you put out is what you're going to get back. If you put out negativity and word things in such a way that it's going to stress out specific students in that class, and then you're going to have to deal with what happens after, you know, I mean, to me, 
shame on the teacher, but also the teacher needs to be way, way more mindful. The school needs to be more mindful um, because, again, it enables the other students to have more awareness and a better right. understanding that people, you know, students have different levels of understanding, have different emotional responses, um, have different um, ways of interpreting things. That's that's how we 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 create a kind of gentler nation. I I hope, <laughs> but we, we, I we, think we're yeah, not. We hope. That you know, that's ultimately what the hope is, um, because it seems that, I mean, we have there are awesome kids out there, but there are also and there are also not so nice kids, and that's why bullying has increased like a hundredfold, not even tenfold, a hundredfold. It's, every, you know, I mean, every behavior is an expression of an of an unmet need, especially a negative behavior, and kids act out because they're frustrated or they're in pain or they're going through things that no one understands or validates. And, you know, the classroom is the setting where you can help change that and, you know, create, you know, let's have kids that have a value system and understand what, you know, inclusion and respect and kindness and compassion and understand Understanding that we're all very different and unique, but that does not mean that we're any less worthy. Right. There's a lot of dialogue that needs to be taken place. Unfortunately, we don't. Yeah. It's up to the parents to open that dialogue. Yes. It's it's not just the teacher's responsibility. It's also the parents' responsibility. Teachers are there I think for it's everybody. Yeah, it, it, everyone needs to open this dialogue for our kids. Everyone, we need Absolutely. to have books like yours. We need to have public speakers like we are. We need to have an open dialogue. I don't. My daughter has never had a public speaker in her school to discuss bullying or mental illness or being kind to each other. And and that's what I'm trying to change. And this is the area because to me those are the core beginnings of life, right? This is how we can help shape and mold these kids' brains and to make them better people as they advance into adolescence and young adulthood and then be better adults. Um, it was funny because shortly after my book was published, I was asked, I was invited to a middle school, and. It was a human library. It was, and initially I'd gone over as an author and publisher, except um, many of the kids had actually read my book and knew about my book. And when they first sat down at the table, um, I started talking about writing a book and, you know, they're looking at each other going, what's she talking about? And I said, why do you just sit at my table? And they said, we heard about you. You're the lady that escaped the rabbit hole and we want you to tell us how you did it. And so every 30 minutes, I had like anywhere from 10 to 12 t- groups of teenagers sit down all day and they wanted to talk about mental health and illness and bullying. And I had a 13-year-old boy come to me at the end of the day and he fell in- uh, he said, can I talk to you? And he fell into my shoulders crying and said, I've been in the rabbit hole for six years. When will I escape? 
So he'd been he'd been living with depression since he was seven years old. And I sat down and I spent 20 minutes talking to him mm. and talking about, you know, mindfulness and gratitude and, you know, giving him positive and hope and things like that. And at the end of the day, the school counselor came in and reprimanded me for doing that. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she said that was not my job. And I said he came to me crying and opened his heart and wanted to talk to me. And I said the yes. first thing I asked him was, please let me walk you to the school counselor. And he said, no, I don't want to see her. He actually said, no, I don't like her. She doesn't help. <laughs> anyway, um, and I mm-hmm. said then I offered to call his mom, and he said, no. I want to talk to you. You understand. And she'd heard the conversation because her and another teacher, they were kind of, you know, walking around and around where we were talking, listening to the conversation. Uh, And I said, were you unhappy with what I said? And she goes, no, it was very appropriate. And I said, then what is your problem? He came to me for help. He wanted to talk about his feelings. He wanted hope. I gave him that. I also gave him my phone number so his mum could call me if she wanted to talk about what we chatted about. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, you're wasting your time with him. You can, he's got so many issues. He, you can't help him. He's, a, he's yes. a lost cause. That's the exact word she said to me. He's a lost cause. And I looked at her. And it was a good job there was a table between me and her because I was ready to go over the table. And I okay, looked at I would her love, and said, "Okay, I would love to I have said, more of this conversation, but we only have sorry, we're out of time. I want, <laughs> I want people to know where to find you. Oh, just go to my website, www.tracymaxfield.com. Everything you could think of is on there. What I'm doing, podcasts, articles, everything. Well, I thank you very much for being on the show, and I regret not having more time with you. Oh, I apologize when I get talking. As you can tell, I'm very (laughs) passionate about it. I'm like a runaway train. Thank you so much for Uh, the time. You as well. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're very welcome. Have a good day. You as well.